0: Hello, my name's Dominic Frisby, and welcome to what has become a far too occasional podcast. It once went under the name of Frisby's Bulls and Bears, but I'm slowly revamping it as stuff that interests me, although for podcast discovery purposes it's still operating under the name frisbees bulls and bears but over the next 10 weeks you should hear 10 quite interesting interviews with interesting people as i've um, got this deal to do 10 interviews in both video and audio form so the audio versions of the interviews i will be presenting here. And the first of those interviews is with a man who is extremely provocative. He makes a business of being provocative, but he's also extremely interesting, extremely eloquent, and extremely, despite what some people would say, well-intentioned. That man is James Dellingpole, and it's a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. (music) Hello and welcome to Stuff That Interests Me with me, Dominic Frisbee. And it's my pleasure today to welcome the writer and broadcaster James Dellingpole
1: to the show. James, hello. Dominic, am I, am I the first person? You are my first guest. That's
0: great. great. My first well, guest. I
1: hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> you won't, that's why I had yeah, you on. Good. Now, in
0: your pod, you've got a fantastic podcast, and you should all listen to it. The best. One of the best. Yeah. The best, the best. The best yeah. And you talk. You've, you've repeatedly come back to this theme that, that the world is in a dangerous place at the moment. Yeah, and um,
1: dis- let's explore that. Well, there are obvious things which 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 I think ordinary people worry about. You know, people who read who read the Daily Mail, things like North Korea. Am I going to be newt? Um, Is the obvious one. Maybe China, stuff like that. But I don't think these are the real threats to our Islamism. Of course, Islam. Um, I don't think these are the real threats to our culture. I think the real threats are much more insidious than than that. In fact, on the way here, I I wrote this piece about how I think we're living in a topsy-turvy world where it's as if we suddenly find ourselves in a parallel universe where the rules have been written by lunatics and we don't feel like we... we feel like strangers in our own country. I, I mean, I'll give you one example... Um, I hope this doesn't date date your show. Poor Hollywood, the judge, okay. the judge on Great British Bake Off, uh, a newspaper unearthed a photograph taken 14 years ago of poor Hollywood dressed as a Nazi for a fancy dress party. Well, I would say it's really not that big a deal. Um, Trump, Does anyone it, really care about that? No, no. Given well, that it was an hello, hello party, it was, the point is that. A, it was the, the front page story in a newspaper. And B, poor Hollywood felt compelled to apologise. For causing offence. For causing offence. Now, I think this is a, this is a, a slippery slope. If, I, I think, if we want to talk politics for a moment, this comes back to cultural Marxism. I don't want to go down that particular rabbit hole too far. But I think that, for want of a better term, the, the cultural left... Is on a mission to make ordinary people tread on eggshells about what they say and do and feel uncomfortable about expressing themselves. It's all about, ultimately, about power. If you don't know whether or not it is safe to dress up in a particular costume, to go to a fancy dress party, already these dark forces I was talking about are winning.
0: Yeah, I, I left university in the early 1990s. And I left university, sort of vaguely left-wing, but not really are you caring. My, that, yeah, I didn't you, but, that. But, phase. I sort of, but I didn't really care that much about politics. I just yeah. sort of thought that left-wing was sort of what people were, and you know, my dad was very left-wing. And but for some twenty-five years or more, I've always felt that I've that that I'm treading on eggshells, as you say, and I've always been very scared to utter. You know, I've always felt ever so slightly self-censored, and I've never really been able to come out and say what I really think. And, and is that a kind of microcosm of what's been going on oh, in the whole you world? I'll give
1: you another example of what I'm thinking of. When, when you and I were at university, we were kind of scared about the police for the right reasons. Uh, they might nick us for smoking drugs. Uh, they might nick us for driving our cars too fast. They might nick us for being drunk and disorderly. But that was the police doing their job. The The police's job is to keep order. Now you've got, got a police where, for example, Surrey Police has a sergeant who is head of diversity and transgender inclusion or some such ridiculous title, where he's sitting on Twitter tweeting out that uh, he finds it offensive that Tampaxes are stored in a section at supermarkets marked Feminine Hygiene because this discriminates against those men who might want to use Tampax. <laughs> now, y- y- we laugh about this, but hang on a second. This guy is on our payroll because ultimately we pay for the police. So if you've got... And, and it's not just sorry police, by the way. This is across the board. You've got police departments policing the internet for inappropriate speech. Well, I'd argue as a taxpayer that that's not really what I spend my money on, not what I want my money to be spent on. Is this because I... I, I, One thing
0: as a little sidetrack that bothers me is the failure to distinguish between speech and actions and sometimes uh, actions that are considerably worse
1: than an idea uttered uh, are are penalised,
0: though they're the same thing. This
1: is a new development. It has happened in our lifetime that... Metaphor has become, or, or, or simile, has become equated with actual deeds. So in other words, people on the left, um, social justice warriors they're, they're, they're called, now think that a, a, an offensive statement is, is the equivalent of physical violence. And it reached an absurd level the other day. There was a, there was a Labour MP who wrote a piece in The Guardian suggesting that racism is worse than rape. And this was in the context of the the gang rapes, the grooming and gang rapes of girls in, in places like Rotherham. And this Labour MP was arguing that it was quite wrong to point out the ethnicity and religion of the gangs involved, that the racism thereby expressed was actually worse than girls Underage girls being being groomed and violated by these men. Now, I'd, I'd argue. So words that is, words are worse than deeds. Words are worse than deeds, or even thoughts are worse than deeds. Because racism, after all, is just an ism. It's just a thing. It's not a. It's not a kind of physical deed. I mean, what's bugged me about the term racism is it, it's so catchall.
0: I mean, so a, a, a flippant comment can be made by somebody and that person is tarred with that racist brush for the rest of his life, you know, flippant comment is is as bad as actual physical physical persecution Terrible. on the grounds of race. And and, and also it's, and, it's so I think any conversation, not this one, but any conversation about when somebody is being labelled with that with that particular or tarred with that particular brush, there needs to be a definition of what actually
1: racism is. But the reason that they use racism is precisely because there is no no yeah. definition. Racism really means uh, a white person with whom I disagree and who I want to... Uh, whose argument I would like to close down, because it's the, it's the Naples ultra, isn't it, of arguments. Once, once you've branded your opponents as a racist, it's a bit like calling them Hitler. They don't have a right to reply. They shouldn't be heard. And by the way, another thing... Interestingly, by the way... Oh, okay, yeah. go on, you go. You go first. The, here we are, you and I, having a, a, a reasonable conversation about, about politics. I don't think we've expressed any viewpoints which are extreme or, or are, are indefensible. And yet, increasingly, I found, certainly in the last 10 years, the number of people on the other side of the argument who want to brand me as far right, um, Nazi, extremist, just for doing basic things like defending freedom of speech, defending the right of girls in northern England and other parts of the country not to be groomed and raped by gangs. These seem to be very reasonable positions, but I find it frightening the way that that even quite nuanced conservative opinion nowadays is branded far right extreme right let me tell you a thing that's
0: coming yeah free trade and free market the, the basic premise of those ideas was that one person a could transact with person b yeah. without the involvement of any uh, anyone else and it's basically an anarchic ideal and some works and it works, it certainly works. But somehow along the way, in the kind of, post, in the kind of post-Thatcher era, and the, all the anti-Thatcher reaction that took place in the 1990s, the words free market became tarnished, and they were associated with greed and exploitation yeah. and all sorts of nasty um, human characteristics, so much so that nobody dared say associate themselves with free trade and free markets. They were bad things. Mm-hmm. Is the same thing going to happen
1: to the term free speech? Totally. This is how, I'm afraid, this is how the the left rolls. It wins the political arguments by first winning the, the culture wars, the cultural arguments. Think, for example, of the way that the word investment. Investment used to be about, buying stocks and shares and so on, expecting growth, investment has now been colonised by government to mean oh. government spending, government investment in in this and that. Government squandering money against the wall, uh, which has been given to them by the taxpayer, that ain't investment. It's very Orwellian. There's a very good George Carlin
0: routine about this called Shell Shock, worth watching. We Okay. Now, let's come back to this thing of of treading on eggshells. Now, this whole thing that everyone's treading on eggshells and they they want to say the right thing and they don't want to be tarnished with whatever... uh, tarred I should say, with whatever brush they get tarred with. Do you think that's why these stupid roles for the police that you described earlier and so many other stupid job positions and stupid practices have emerged because they they they, everyone both at an institutional level and on a personal level feels that they are treading on eggshells in some way and therefore they there is this need to demonstrate their
1: virtue to show their virtue i think there's several things going on here first of all there's an organization called common purpose which is very cultural Marxist left wing which uh, runs courses for public servants and trains them up into the, instills in them the, the values of the, the cultural left so that people become obsessed with diversity um, uh, gender, um, inclusivity all the things that, that have compliance departments treading on eggshells egg so gradually you get um, a form of entry, entryism whereby the police uh, city law firms corporations, um, universities, obviously, I mean, they're, a soft, they're an easy target anyway. They all get infiltrated by people at, at the higher levels with people who, with these values anyway. Um, secondly, I think that the Internet has made it much, much easier for minority pressure groups to give the impression that they're much more representative of the general view than they actually are. So that they can they can gather together like minded people very very quickly and and launch insta protests and mob companies, and companies are they just want a quiet life they just think that rather, by paying Dane geld to the to the Dane <laughs> the Dane will go away and of course the dane doesn 't go away. The Dane thinks, "Well, if I can get money out of this, maybe i 'll come and do a bit more pillaging and raping next time, Of course, the pillaging and raping this this time is is um, Pushing those pushing those diversity and defence taking and, and gender buttons for all they're worth. Let me offer you, let me dangle in front of you a carrot of hope.
0: Yeah. Um, I think in the nineties, with the so with the rise of the alternative comics and the, the post Thatcherite era and so on, um, the the left won the cultural war. I think it's fair to say that. You may not agree with that
1: interpretation. Do you agree with that interpretation? Uh, I think Rightly that... or wrongly they won it. No, I think, I, think they, I, think it's, I think it's got worse. I think, I, sure. They, they won some key... Ba- yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the, the left have, have owned the culture for a very long time. They, they won at least as far back as the 1960s, I'd say.
0: OK. They, the libertarian... Uh, now I see it more as a battle between authoritarian and libertarian, rather than left and right. You know you've totally. got that square. And the authoritarian left is going to lose the war. So more, for example, let me just demonstrate this. Time and time again you see exchanges on social media, on Twitter and so on, in which the, the libertarian argument always seems to win the exchange. You know why? Because they're right. The left
1: can't do memes. It's a, the, a note of hope, to yeah. with your note of hope. I talk to some of the kids occasionally. I've, yeah. Uh, and, and what I find is that the brightest and best are all... They call themselves ANCAPs, anarcho-capitalists, yeah. which I think is the, is the current term for libertarians, classical liberals, whatever. They all love Jacob Rees, Morgue, obviously, but they're all really good with memes. And memes are, are I think, the... We, we fuddy-duddy oldsters don't really understand memes, and that's the whole point. But for the kids, they're, they're, they are the, the way of subverting the system, of commenting on this stultifying political culture we inhabit right now, that there are things you can't say, like, for example, what's their response to the culture where poor Hollywood can't dress up as a Nazi? Why, it's Pepe the Frog, and it's Keck, and it's, it's memes with, with, Donald, uh, with Pepe the Frog with a Donald Trump uh, hairdo driving, driving the Trump train forward. And it's, it's, it's bad taste jokes that you're not allowed to make, but they make them anyway to show that they're free. Well, this is the point, is that the free argument is... is
0: and the author, You know, the purpose of comedy is to undermine pomposity. And th- that same dynamic goes from libertarian to authoritarian. The, 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 the comic argument is the subversive argument. Well, you'd think... Um, well, it is, because now comedy has been traditionally dominated by the left, and it's become very authoritarian left, as we've said. Yeah. But in Edinburgh this year, I saw very many shows... And I saw about at least four shows by so-called political comics. And I sat there and I watched them and I thought, you are a libertarian and you don't realise it. Well, that's, that's encouraging. And, and, you know, they were and they were more and more, the, the victims of their attack was, was this kind of were, were authoritarian left-wing ideological yeah. stuff. There's a comic called Finn Taylor who's coming through, and I watched them and I go, you're a libertarian, you don't know it yet. Jonathan Pye, you know, the, the message of... Even though Jonathan Pye is... You know very much to the left from a kind of social point of view and I think I am as well by the way but from a from a he's deeply libertarian because he you know he, he can't stand stuff that is you know telling you what to do so comedy and and a lot of people are getting sick of the fact that comedy has been so left wing and they they want something else but it, it's coming through
1: more yeah. and more is coming through yeah well I, I don't really see how you can be effective comedy if if there are areas that you're not allowed to go. Because the whole point about comedy, or one of the whole points about comedy, at least, is that it explores the boundaries of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. It, 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 like, we laugh in the face of, of tragedy and, and, and death. The problem is, the problem
0: that comedy has and that it has to get through is that... The BBC. The, <laughs> the biggest platform of all is television, and especially the BBC. And the, the, the inherent bent of the BBC... Inevitably, as it's the state broadcaster, is authoritarian left.
1: I think it's and Martin Durkin, I think, that says this, that, that if an alien came down from outer space and observed our planet, he would be gobsmacked that the, the main broadcaster, I mean, the, the dominant, the, almost monopoly broadcaster in, in, in Britain, is so far to the left of where its audience are. I mean, where the where the where the It's British going to change.
0: Are. It's going to change the circuit itself. The life of a live comedian is about as libertarian as as existence as you can get. Right. Um, but as soon as you go into telly, that's when you start getting quotas and all and that. Look kind at Frankie of, Boyle. Frankie Boyle is fantastic.
1: No, he was. Frankie Boyle is not anymore. Frankie Boyle. I, I witnessed that transformation of, of, of Frankie Boyle. He was. He was absolutely. He he just went to places that appalled you and horrified you. His sort of Queen Mother joke. He jokes about Jordan's disabled child. And you thought, yeah, but at least somebody's doing what comics are supposed to do. Then he reinvented himself. He reinvented himself and made himself BBC friendly. And it's not a pretty sight.
0: Well, I, I haven't seen any of his stuff on the telly. And I follow him on Twitter and he makes me laugh a great deal. So I'm, at this stage, from what I've seen, I'm going to defend Frankie. Yeah, yeah. But But the, the the and what's happened in this past, there are many comics who have libertarian sympathies. But anyone who does have those sympathies is just kept their mouth shut about their politics because they realized in order to get on you can't afford to to vocalize the politics that you have and then the ones who have have been more left-wing have been much more vocal about that i think there's there's definitely a a, a shift in the tides and um, i'm quite positive from that point of view
1: yeah yeah well i think um it's the same with with hollywood of course that you can't you can't express non-liberal liberal views but maybe, maybe Netflix. I mean, even though Netflix is quite left-wing as well, Netflix might open avenues, which which sort of um, stops Hollywood having a monopoly, at least on the.
0: Well, for sure, the 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 um, what do you call it? The TV drama, the fifty-minute TV drama, yeah. is replacing the movie as the uh, go-to entertainment of choice. Yeah.
1: But this is what was this is what was supposed to happen. This is what people like you and me were writing ten, fifteen years ago. We were saying that that the, the internet, the process of disintermediation meant that we could bypass the traditional um, seats of authority like the BBC, you know, the, the barriers to entry law, and so on. But actually what we've seen is the left fighting a, counter, a counter-offensive through the medium of censorship. You know, Google, Google YouTube, Facebook, um, Amazon, they're all, they're all censoring voices like mine. They are...
0: And that's worrying, how that's happening. Yeah, or what? And given how initially libertarian Google was. Yeah, but again, evil was his but motto. But again, all this blockchain and disintermediation stuff, like, for example, all the censorship that's going on YouTube, everyone's just going over to BitShoot now, which is a decentralised uh, media oh, well, platform. I yeah. didn't know
1: about this. See, you're, you're, so you just
0: decentralise yeah. it and then it, it doesn't matter. Bit? BitShoot. Are people actually using And that's it? a decentralised video sharing platform. And no one controls it? Well, it's decentralised. So, no. I mean, it's controlled by the people who start it. And is it doing well? It's doing OK. I mean, it's not YouTube yet. Yeah, it's still it's early okay. stage. OK, that's the thing. But it's early stage. I, mean, it didn't, I don't think it even existed six months ago. Right, OK. But it will. people will... The the internet is such a liberating force that, you know, and the, 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 the it, ideas will go and the creative will go where ideas are freest and speech is freest. And so if there's censorship here... The, uh,
1: and the capital will follow the ideas. It will all move to where there isn't censorship. Yeah, that's because you, Dominic Frisby, are an optimist. And, and you always have been. And, and, and this gels with what you believe about cryptocurrencies and so on, that, that you think that somehow this is going to undermine the power that government has over us all, which I think is great. I mean, I, I love the theory. I want it to, to happen. I just think you can never underestimate the desire... Gilbert and Sullivan said this, uh, every girl that is born alive is either a little liberal or else a little conservative. And what they meant by this, I mean, okay, maybe the conservative-liberal dichotomy isn't quite the same, um, you can call it authoritarian-libertarian. There are always people in the world who want, who are control freaks and want to boss around the other part of the world, which is people like us, who just want to be left alone and just get on with their lives and, and, and be free. And I don't believe that struggle will ever go away. And I also don't believe that the authoritarian side will give up the struggle just because of Bitcoin, just because of, of um, BitChute or whatever it's called. Or...
0: Yeah, they won't. And it's a, it's a constant pendulum that's swinging. And they're more evil, don't forget. <laughs> at the moment the, the pendulum is swinging in favour of the free on that note we're going to end this interview James Dellingpole thank you very much thanks Dominic why don't you
1: give your Twitter feed and your column yeah. and your podcast a um, great big plug yeah good okay so James Dellingpole is my Twitter feed I do actually have a Facebook fan whatever page fan okay. page uh, which people should go to because I've got any followers on that and um, most of my stuff goes there I'm also at Dellingpole World Dellingpoleworld.com. You can read all my stuff there, and you can listen to my podcast there. Um, all my podcasts are archived there, and it's just, they're awesome. The James Dellingpole
0: podcast is terrific, and you should all listen. Um, my name is Dominic John. Frisbee. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Thanks once again to James Dellingpole, and we'll be back with new shows in the future. So keep watching. <laughs>